Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another podcast with Nepsis and Mark Pearson. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. There's a lot of stuff going on pretty much everywhere you look when it comes to stocks, bonds, mutual funds. But we're going to hearken back to an 80s song by Dire Straits to start our podcast today, which is Money for Nothing. Now, if you, uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember that, it was the actual first fully animated uh, video on MTV when MTV had videos. And Mark and I were already 75 years old when the video came out. So, <laughs> Mark, uh, there has been some news that has come out about this race to the bottom that we've talked about in the past. So why don't you give us uh, give us the update on the utter craziness that's going on? Yes. Well, obviously, yeah, we, we uh, talked about this race to the bottom, of course, to define the race to the bottom. Who's going to get to the bottom first on charging no money to manage your money for you? Because as we all know, there is always a free lunch, right? Oh, yes. It's, They're it's very tasty. Yeah. This comes from Barron's on August 1st. Fidelity drops fund fees to zero in latest price war gamut. Shares of asset managers, including industry giant BlackRock, are falling on Wednesday on news that privately held Fidelity Investments is launching what may be the first no-cost index funds, the same month that Vanguard Group is waiving fees on all ETF trades on its platform. How do you like those apples? Those are terrifying apples to me. They um, are terrifying. How, what, how, how, okay, so they're still getting paid, aren't they? Well, they got to be making money. So, well, I think, you know, I, I'm not in the company. There's obviously a couple things that could be happening. One, maybe they're making money on trading, right? Maybe. Number two, it could be a lost leader to get you into the other funds that they have, which is okay. probably more of what is the strategy because- as you know, you should be diversified and you should you should also asset allocate. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're using it as a way to get control of the assets, get them in the door, and then have your salespeople work their magic and get the money put into other funds as well to eat that cost up. I, I just think the approach of the industry, I, I mean, do you hear lawyers or CPAs or doctors? I mean, do you go to the cheapest doctor? I mean, if you had to have open heart surgery, do you call a bunch of doctors and say, let me let me uh, find out which one of you is going to be cheaper in this process? Yeah, now, and that, that's, I, that's utterly I, I terrifying to me. I get it with index me. funds, Matt. Yeah. Index is an index is an index, which, of course, we've talked about in the past that I am vehemently against investing in indexes. But that may be another conversation for another day. Sure. Bottom line is the industry continues to force this idea of cheap, cheap, cheap. And I think the unintended consequences of this could end up being worse service, worse quality products, worse quality performance over time and things because there is no such thing as a free lunch. And that's what really scares me here is, is first off, why would a major company like that 
try to devalue what they do for you. Uh, that that's I mean I understand loss leaders and, and that there are many many businesses that do that, but your loss leader shouldn't make you look like you're a cheap commodity that isn't worth anything, right? Well, isn't that what buying index funds is a cheap commodity? Well, yeah. I mean, all you're doing yeah. is investing in an index. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I, I guess the argument. So this gets. So let's go into weeds a little bit here. The argument is by many that you should just invest in index funds because portfolio managers, X percent of portfolio managers, underperform the index. Now, I've heard that chatter for a long time. Um, I I would like someone to please give me the apples-to-apples comparison when they're talking about money managers and performance relative to a stated index because different indexes also calculate things differently, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The, the S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index. Don't mm-hmm. ask me why it's price. I, I, I don't. This gets to the whole idea, of course, of why would you even focus on an index at all? Because people are being told that portfolio managers are not are not outperforming indexes, and bluntly. Frankly, every time I hear that, it makes my skin crawl because how do we even know that the comparisons they're doing are actual apples-to-apples comparisons? I mean, the the best example I'll give you, Matt, is uh, people constantly want to compare our Nepsis portfolios to the S&P 500 because that's all they hear on TV. Compare your portfolio to the S&P 500. We're not invested remotely like the S&P 500. We own small cap, mid cap, large cap. We own growth. We own value. We own emerging markets. We own international. We don't invest in just the S&P 500. And quite frankly, no investor should have all of their money in the S&P 500 index, period. So the comparisons in most cases are not even going to be that accurate. So how... Let's. You've talked about this in other podcasts, and if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, it's very, very important for you to go back after you subscribe and listen to the other ones. But, but, what in God's name do I, as an investor, how do I know if I'm doing well? Then, if if, if it's not apples to apples comparison across the board, how do I know? How, how about this? How do I know you're doing a good job, Mark? Oh. I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> ah, uh, I see. I'm not well, going to. I'm not going to get you. you this, do you want me to give you the snarky answer? Well, uh, well let's get both. But uh, I'm not getting you today. So my devil's advocate's I mean, not going to win. If you Sorry. have 300 million under management, and you've been doing it for you know 20 years. Let's say you can't be that bad at it, right? Yeah. Okay, that's a snarky answer. Let's get down to the brass tacks. Yes. Desnarkify. Do doing a good job. Because retention of assets. Here's the one question people ask me, you know, how, how have you done versus the S&P 500? And I always say, or how have you, I'll make it even more generic, say, how have you done versus your stated benchmarks? And I always say, you're asking me the wrong question. They say, what do you mean I'm asking the wrong question? I say, you're, answer, you're asking me the wrong question. Because beating a benchmark is not what's most important because each individual person's benchmark is different. Here is the most important question to ask yourself. Am I on track to have the kind of financial future I want to have? And are my investments doing what they're supposed to do to get me there to do that? 
I mean, it gets to the point of ridiculous, Matt, when you've got people who are in our, you know, we have an investment policy statement, right? And they're in an income or an income and growth portfolio, and they say, how are we doing versus the S&P 500? And you just want to say, what? I mean, you're not even remotely in a type of portfolio that is associated with an index. And to be blunt about it, as you know, there are statistical measurements on performance relative to risk in a portfolio that if you had that conversation with a client, their eyes would glass over and they say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Am I doing well or not? And of course, we tell our clients that our prospective clients that the question you want to ask that I think is more important on whether or not you're beating a benchmark is, and no one's, by the way, ever asked me this, Matt. You want to know a question that is? Hmm. What's your client retention rate? Huh. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's interesting, right? Because if you don't have, huh. That is a really good question. Now, did I stump you? Well, or? no, no, I'm because I'm 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 devil's advocating in my brain right now. See what it sounds to me like you're doing there is you're taking control and changing the conversation. And and from a salesman, okay, that's a great sales technique, but this isn't a sales technique. This is education. You're attempting to redirect them so that they understand what the real questions should be because the Bingo. answers that they're getting from the press is just rote, correct? Bingo. Yes. Gotcha. Correct. So interesting so, client retention. So let's talk about that a little bit. I don't know from a compliance standpoint if you're able to really divulge too much, but uh, I mean the happiness index or the happiness factor, that has to play a part in this, which well, it does with you, right? Right. Well, here, here's the basic premise. The premise is, or, or the question you want to ask is, what is more important, your advisor mm. meeting or exceeding your goals or beating a, beating a benchmark? Mm -hmm. What's more important? Meeting well, my goals. Right? Absolutely. Right. So already when you ask the question, beating a benchmark, you have an industry that's already been browbeating you into the idea of you should just own index funds. Mm -hmm. But Clearly, if you look at Dalbar statistics and, and a lot of other studies that have been done, investors buy at market highs and they sell at market yeah, lows. Yeah, yeah. Buying an index does not uh, equate to managing not only a client's financial plan, but also the emotional predisposition of mm -hmm. the client during periods of uncertainty. Uh, I always tell people that the number one reason you hire an advisor is for their leadership. Mm-hmm. They're leading you. The returns of your portfolio are all relative, and they're relative to you accomplishing your long-term goals. So I always, I always ask these two basic questions. Number one, are you on path to have the kind of financial future you want to have? And number two, are your investments doing the best they can? Mm -hmm. Are your investments doing the best they can? And people immediately when you say, well, that's why I'm asking you how am I done versus a benchmark. That's not the actual question because risk is relative, right? Mm -hmm. So I could be doing just as well as an index, right? But I could be taking on more risk technically than the index. So what's more important, me beating an index or me accomplishing the goals that I have set forth for myself? And so when you set people up to ask the question, you know, how are you doing versus benchmarks, you're automatically setting up to fail long term. Now, what about the argument that the reason why people are chasing such massive returns really is for is a twofold issue. One is greed, which we all know what happens when you get greedy. And then two, 
because they were such poor savers, they have to make up so much ground. Am I yeah. close on that or no? Well, yeah, I, somewhat. You know, the other thing is we often talk to people about is maybe you're taking on more risk than you need to be taken on because you already have accomplished your financial goals, right? Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, and actually you, you, you've brought up a great point there, question. You know, I, I just got done writing my quarterly report and uh, for our clients. And in the quarterly report, I talk about this whole concept of risk, right, versus volatility. So let me give you an example. Uh, Warren Buffett has a quote. It says, volatility is not the same thing as risk. And investors who think it is will cost themselves money. We've said uh, for a long time to clients that volatility and risk are very different things. If you go through all the work, Matt, here's what I don't understand. If you go through all the work to do an investment policy and objective setting questionnaire or a suitability questionnaire, right, that every firm requires you to fill out to get an understanding of your quote unquote, which I just love this, your risk tolerance, mm-hmm. right? Aren't we really talking about volatility tolerance? Well, because at the end of the day, right, has no guarantees, but hasn't everything come back and gone higher over time? Over time. Right. So where is the actual risk? Volatility is not necessarily the risk. Volatility creates opportunity. If your portfolio is allocated to the measurement of your suitability or your goals and objectives, why would you care about volatility and would that really be construed as risk? What I would argue, Matt, unequivocally, is that during periods of uncertainty, when volatility picks up, I would say it's far more risky not to know what you own and why you own it than the actual volatility itself. This is why the doll bar statistics are so, are so appropriate. This is why business owners, we talked about in the last podcast, business owners will say, why would I quote unquote invest in the stock market, which is another phrase I absolutely love. I'm going to get on my soapbox in one second here when I can just invest in my own business because at least I know what I own and why I own it, which gets back to this idea. Uh, I, I, I'll say to somebody when they say I'm invested in the stock market, I say, no, you're not. No, you're not invested in the stock market. The stock market is nothing more than exactly what it is. It's a market to go buy stock. Are you invested in the fruit market? Are you invested in the flea market? You don't invest in the stock market. You invest in businesses. The stock market is nothing more than the greatest tool ever created to bring buyers and sellers of businesses together. That's what the stock market is. You invest in businesses. So volatility, in my opinion, is less risky than not knowing what you own and why you own it so that you may be able to take advantage of volatility and buy on sale, which is, by the way, human nature. That's how we do everything else, right? We buy Mm -hmm. our clothes on sale. We like to buy a car on sale. We like to buy furniture on sale. Mm-hmm. But no one likes to buy stocks when they're on sale. They like to sell them. Why is that? So circle back, Matt, to the race to the bottom. Let's focus on cheap, cheap, cheap. Focus on buying, buying the indexes, right? Mm-hmm. That does not solve the ultimate problem of the investor, which investors continually make mistakes by buying high and selling low. And that is more damaging to them accomplishing their long-term goals and whether or not someone's quote-unquote beaten a benchmark at any given time snapshot window. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I gave you a lot, didn't I? Yeah, I, dude, that, that was a heck of a rant there. So I'm, uh, 
I'm honestly just trying to piece some of the stuff that Do you, you want just me to said. rant it again. No, no, but I know you probably can because that's stuff that you deal with on a regular basis. So call to action, right? So what is our call to action here? What what do we want our listeners to do differently? Is it go around and, you know, slap people in the back of the head and, you know, ask nope. them if they're invested in the stock market so that they can, uh, you know, they can, you know, take control of the conversation and educate people? And, okay, you know what? I am, I am going to get you on this. Besides this podcast, which, by the way, does get a, a very nice listenership. And you do a radio show, right? Yes. What are you doing for the industry and for the consumer to make them understand what they're missing? Right. Great question. Actually, we're on the verge of rolling out a whole new social media marketing platform that's going to tie all of the things that we've created and will create as part of our education. So. Hmm. We do the radio show. Uh, it's on iHeartRadio. It's local here in Minneapolis, but it's on iHeartRadio. We also do it on Facebook Live. So if you go to the Nepsis Incorporated Facebook page, when we do our radio show live, we post that up on, on Facebook Live and also previous recordings. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We are email blasting. We are in Google uh, search stuff. Mm-hmm. We're, we're always putting stuff out there. I get interviewed occasionally by press, but we're going to do more in terms of that educational process. But we are, those are just a few of the things that we're doing along with the podcast, of course. Wonderful. Well, that definitely shows a reach, right? It shows an investment that Nepsis is making into general or to educating the general public because there's a substantial amount of education needed. Just the Dalbar statistics alone, the cycle of investor emotions, you know, the changing the tenor and actually even the direction or the premise, the philosophical premise of the conversation really does need to happen. I'm going to circle back to one other thing before we wrap up today. I've talked to other financial advisors before. You know, I've been in financial services for a little over 10 years now. And, and when the risk tolerance questionnaires came out, a lot of advisors were so excited about it because they thought, and they do think actively, that that is a great way for them to kind of cover their performance issues. Well, it's a suitability. It covers their butts from you know any sort of compliance issues that the, that the money is being managed for them suitable to what they've put you know on the questionnaires. Mm-hmm. And and look, let me let me just say this real quick because I think this is important. You know, Nepsis is all about investing with clarity, having the ability to know what you own and why you own it. Notice I didn't say know what you own and why you own it, but have the ability to know what you oh, own. Oh, sure, sure. Those are two very different statements. Yeah. And because frankly, most people, uh, particularly successful people, don't have time to pay attention to what they own and why they own it. That's why they hire an advisor. Right. But the premise behind this is that, and I've said this to you before. People don't care about what they own and why they own it until they care about what they own and why they own it. (laughs) And that's usually during periods of uncertainty. This is the behavioral, the psychological aspect of investing that does not get covered in lower fees and buying indexes, which frankly, I believe, is more of the reason why investors do not have the success that they can in investing. And so, you know, when you think about the idea of clarity Clarity can come in different forms at different times for different people at different levels. Most importantly, when you're super successful or you're busy or you're intimidated by all of it or you just don't care 
whatever your reason is for not knowing what you own and why you own it, there does come a point for most people when they do care about what they own and why they own it, and they can't get that information. Mm -hmm. They don't know that. And when you don't have the information, you are not able to make the best decision possible. I often say, Matt, to people, doesn't it make sense that you've worked so hard for your money, right, that wouldn't you want every possible advantage you could get to help you make the best decisions for investing that money? Absolutely. Bingo. That's yeah. investing with clarity. Yeah. So back in January, as you know, we changed our name from Nepsis Capital Management to Nepsis, dropping mm-hmm. capital management, better reflecting the idea of clarity, right? Mm-hmm. And we changed our URL to investwithclarity.com. This, this is really about helping investors gain or have the ability to gain greater clarity about what they own and why they own it. Because in my opinion, the greatest, risks, uh, the greatest risk investors face is not knowing what they own and why they own it. Because when they don't, they don't know where the greatest areas of exposure are that could hurt them. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, when is this? Was social- I on too much of a rant? Uh, today? No, no, uh, no, not at all. When is the social media thing gonna gonna launch? When is this? Well, we just had actually my marketing manager just had a call today with my marketing folks. We're rolling it all. We got we've. We've got all this stuff put together. Mm-hmm. We've been tweeting. We've been mm-hmm. on Instagram. Yeah. We've been on Facebook. We've been out there in uh, on the internet. But now we're going to be putting together a structural, very, very targeted, mm-hmm. very focused and consistent calendar of marketing. And this should probably start in the next two weeks. Wonderful. Now, for our listeners here, I want you to think about just a couple of quick things. When you get your prospectus in the mail, when you get multiple prospectus, prospecti in the mail, I don't think that's right, but I just thought it'd be fun to say. I don't know what the word would be. I don't know. Prospectuses. Anyway, when you get those, especially when it's a mutual fund, right, just flip to any page and take a look at it and see if anything that they're saying makes any sense to you. (laughs) My experience has been, first first off, as a person who's in the industry that has the, the, the privilege of talking to people like Mark. I don't even look at them because they make no sense. They're not written for a normal human. They're written for people like Mark Pearson to understand. And, and if you haven't figured out by now that he's not a normal human, you are correct. He is superhuman and, and truly amazing and has a great team that can understand the gobbledygook so you don't have to. But that does not mean that when things do go awry, when there's volatility, when there is something happening in the marketplace, again, marketplace that concerns you being able to pick up the phone or look at past communications like Nepsis does to communicate to you what you own and why you own it. So you can know that changes the whole game. If your advisor's not doing that for you right now, you probably should ask the million dollar question, which is why. And we're going to attack that on another podcast. Mark, thank you very much for your time today. Always good to be with you, boss. All right. So once again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe now button below and make sure you follow Nepsis all over the place. If you type in Nepsis or Mark Pearson Nepsis in your Google search, you will see an enormous amount of great information that will help you connect with them on whatever social media platform that you love and use on a regular basis so that you can truly know what you own and why you own it. For everybody at Nepsis, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 